Welcome, everybody. I'm Chris Miller, author of the number one best-selling book, Ready for Pre-Retirement, Three Secrets for Safe Money and a Fabulous Future. I'm so honored to be the host of this show called Ready, Set, Retire. Do you lay awake at night wondering if you have enough money to pay bills, let alone retire? In this show, your vision will be transformed, and I will show you how to have safe money and a fabulous future. I've counseled thousands of individuals, businesses, and families over the past 20-plus years, and I'm proud to say I've never lost $1 of my clients' money. I'm going to share with you secrets I've learned over two decades that only the few rich know about, but they've been around for centuries. Pre-retirement is a word that we've coined, and it basically means plan retirement early so your money, your health, and peace of mind is there when you need it. I have gathered some amazing guests, and today my special guest is Bob Berg. He, he is an amazing author of the book, The Go-Giver. And basically, you know, what I want to say is can a subtle shift in focus really make a big difference in your business and income? And when combining the shift in focus with five proven laws of success, can your business really become a lot more fun, a lot less stressful, and a lot more profitable, and much more beneficial to your clients? Our guest says absolutely yes. Bob Berg is a sought-after speaker, corporate conventions for entrepreneurial events. He regularly addresses audiences ranging from 50,000, 50 to 16,000, and he's sharing platforms with notables including today's top thought leaders, broadcast personality, Olympic athletes, and political leaders, including former United States president. Although for years he's, he's been best known for his book, Endless Referrals, over the past few years, it's his business parable, The Go-Giver, which he co-authored with John David Mann, that has captured the heart and imaginations of his readers. It shot up to number six on the Wall Street Journal business bestseller list just three weeks after its release and reached number nine on Business Week. It's been translated into 21 languages, and it's his fourth book to ever sell over 250,000 copies. Bob is an advocate, supporter, and defender of the free enterprise system, believing that the amount of money one makes is directly proportional to how many people they serve. He is a founding board member of Club 100, a charitable organization focused on helping underprivileged local area youth, a lover of animals, and he is a past member of the board of directors for Safe Harbor, Harbor, which is a humane society of Jupiter, Florida. Bob, I'm really honored to have you here. Well, thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, your book is amazing. I read your book. I got it, and I read it uh, flying across the country. I couldn't couldn't put it down. I was just fascinated because it's really the way that I like to think about things. So it really, really resonated with me. And oh, thank you. Pretty like that a lot, and I really like the way that you love animals and that you're reaching back out and helping helping people, which is really what it's all about. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. That means a lot to me. Yeah. Now, you know, 
your title go giver seems to contradict like traditional you know wisdom and and is that intentional basically yeah i mean the you know the title is always of a book as you know being an author is always meant to be uh attractive to the potential readers um and a, a title while it, it while it's best when it uh, provides a a benefit within the title sometimes just if you can be provocative in a way enough that somebody does a double take and says, hmm, what is that? Or what does that mean? <laughs> you know, so uh, just like the headline of a sales letter, the, the title of a book is what draws a person to it. Uh, it. They say, well, you shouldn't judge a book by its cover or its title, but you know what? That's exactly what we do. <laughs> as consumers. Exactly. Totally. And, I, and when I looked at it, because I get a lot of books, you know, a lot of people want to be on the show and they get all these books, but that mm-hmm. made me pick it up. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And of course, you know the the message needs to be congruent with the title for it to for it to be uh, for it to be right for it to be correct. And John and I would like to think that is um, the the basic premise is really that shifting one's focus, and that's really what it's all about in this case. Shifting one's focus from getting to giving, and when we say giving in this context, we we simply mean constantly and consistently providing value to others, providing value to the marketplace. And uh, in doing that is you know, not only a, a nice way to live life, but it's a very financially profitable way as well. Right, right. And it really, something about that quantum leaps everything really fast because it's not like you want to give because you're going to think that you're going to get back, but it does work that way. Yeah, well, it's an understanding that it's very natural. There's there's nothing particularly far out in its thinking about that. Um, uh, it, it's when you think of it in a free market based economy where nobody, and not that we live in a free market based economy, we really live in a mixed economy. But most people, our our businesses still fall under the the, the free market aspect in which nobody is forced to buy from us. So we, we've got to realize that the only reason somebody is going to buy from us is because they feel that they are receiving more in value than what they're having to give up. And it's very just it's a very realistic way of thinking about things, but that's good. That's the way it should be. That's why the essence of a free market exchange is two people or more voluntarily exchanging with one another because each one uh, desires to be better off after the exchange than they were before it. Right. So when you think of it, it just works totally in harmony with human nature. Right. Well, you know, in the book, the main character, Joe, he's frustrated and he's described as a go-getter. And I always thought of being a go-getter was a good thing. And then he's overwhelmed, which I could totally relate to. And so are you saying that being a go-giver, go-getter is a bad thing? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, no, John and I, my, my co-author, John David Mann, we, we think being a go-getter is a great thing. We love go-getters. Why? Because go-getters take action. They, they get things done. Um, you know, you're a very successful businesswoman, and you know, and you advise clients all the time. Uh, you, know, you, you know that you can have the, the best idea, the best thought, the best intention, but without action being put into the mix, nothing's going to happen. It, it, it simply cannot happen. So being a go-getter is very important. Uh, the good news is that um, there's no there's no natural division between being a go getter and a go giver. Many go getters are also go givers, and every go giver, by their very nature, is also a go getter. The opposite of a go giver is a go 
taker. And that's that person who feels almost entitled, if you will, to take, take, take without having added value to the person, to the process, to the situation. Go-takers tend to be very I-focused or me-focused. It's all about them, which is how Joe was at the beginning of the story. And Joe was described as a frustrated go-getter, and he was. But he wasn't frustrated because he was a go-getter. He was frustrated because, really, he was a go-taker. If you recall, everything was about Joe, Joe, Joe. Who owed Joe this and who owed Joe that? And Joe had a quota to me. And of course, you know, one thing I tell my audiences is that, and this always gets a laugh, but it's, it's very true, and that is nobody's going to buy from you because you have a quota to meet. Right. They're going to buy from you because they believe they're receiving more value from the exchange than they're giving up, which again is very, very natural. So when we say go giver, we're, we're really simply talking about that person, that man or woman who has learned uh, or who perhaps in, always intuitively knew that it's that person who can kind of step outside themselves, who can move from an I focus or a me focus to an other focus, always looking for ways to create value for the other person. That's the person who accomplishes the most. And that's really what we mean when we say a go-giver. That's it right there. That's really, to me, what it's about. You know, and you've, you've got some really cool things in the book. One of them you call, talk about the five laws of stratos, stratospheric success. Mm-hmm. Law number one is the law of value. What is that? Yeah, the law of value says that your, your true worth is determined by how much more you give in value than you take in payment. Now, when you when you first hear that as a business person, it can sound rather counterproductive. And indeed, some of these laws are very counterintuitive, and there's more to them than just the you know the surface definition. Uh, but would you think of it to say give more in value than I take in payment? That sounds like a recipe for bankruptcy. I mean, you know how am I, how am I going to survive in business? Never mind thrive if I'm giving more in value than I take in payment. And it's a good legitimate question. Uh, to understand this, we simply need to understand the difference between price and value. Uh, very basically, price is a dollar amount. It's a dollar figure. It's finite. It, I guess you could say it is what it is. Uh, value, on the other hand, is the relative worth or desirability of a thing to the end user or beholder. In other words, what is it about this thing, this product, service, concept, idea, that brings with it so much worth or value that someone will willingly exchange their their money for it and be ecstatic that they did while you make a very healthy profit. Uh, We can take the example of someone who perhaps hires an accountant to do their, their tax returns, and this accountant charges them, uh, you know, let's say a thousand dollars. Uh, that's the accountant's fee or literally their price. But what are they, what are they giving in value, uh, in exchange for that thousand dollar price? Well, they, they, let's say they save their client $5,000 in taxes. Uh, they, they save their client hours countless hours of time so that the client can do something that they are more qualified to do, something they would enjoy doing, something that can make them more productive in that time. Uh, And they provide their client with the 
security and the peace of mind of knowing it was done correctly. So we see that while price is finite, value can be both concrete and intangible, if you will, uh, both with you know, the money that was saved, but also that, that peace of mind, that feeling of, of security, which is priceless. So what happened was the, the accountant uh, gave their client well over $5,000 in value or use value in exchange for a $1,000 price or cash value. So literally, this accountant gave their client more in value than they took in payment. So the client feels great about it, uh, and the, uh, the, the accountant made a very, very healthy profit, which he should, uh, based on the value he provided. And this, you know, this is really the kind of relationship we want to have with anyone with whom we do business. We want to give them such a, a fantastic, uh, exceptional, unique buying experience that they feel great about it, and, and we make a very uh, significant profit. And, and to do this, it really, again, all goes back to focus. When you're focused on the money, it comes across that way to the, uh, the potential client, and they know this. They don't feel as good about you. They're less likely to participate in that, that exchange. On the other hand, when they can tell that your focus is on them, on their wants, their needs, their desires, when they can tell your focus is on adding value to them, they feel much better about you. They have more trust, more like, more respect. They're more likely to make the exchange, which is, which is why we say that money is simply an echo of value. It's the thunder, if you will, to values lightning, it, which simply means the value must come first, and the money is simply a, a direct and very natural result of the value you've provided. That is beautiful. I really like the way you, you've... I've heard a lot of people talk about value and uh, add value, but that really, really, really talks about it. So, oh, thank you. Yeah. You know, you've got your, you know, four other which I think these are great. The law of compensation, your income is determined by how many people you serve and how well you serve them. That is awesome. Tell, tell us some more about that. Sure. Um, yeah, well, it's interesting because where, where law number one says to give more in value than you take in payment, law number two tells us that the more people <laughs> uh, whose lives we touch with this exceptional value, the more money with which we'll be rewarded. We, let's take, for example, the accountant that we just discussed. Uh, you know, if you are his client, let's say, you feel great about him, you, you would do business with him again, and you'd most likely refer him to many others. Well, his other clients probably feel the same way. So our accountant is very quickly amassing what we call an army of personal walking ambassadors. And as he continues to add more and more value uh, to the lives of more and more people, his income will simply continue to grow and grow. And it's the same for anyone, whether that person's an accountant, whether that person is a, uh, you know, is a banker or a chiropractor, whether they're an electrician or a dentist, whether they sell financial services or, or real estate or computer software. Uh, Nicole, one of the mentors in the story who we call the CEO, at one point you'll recall she tells her, you know, the protege, the main protege in the story, Joe, um, she tells him that while law number one, the law of value, represents your potential income, uh, 
it's not enough to just provide great value to a limited number of people. Law number two, the law of compensation, that represents your actual income because what she's telling Joe is that it's also a matter of of, of outreach. It's a matter of, of how many lives you impact with that value. This is one reason why referrals are so very important to a healthy business. With referrals, um, it's uh, – uh, you know, it's easier to set the appointment because you're going in on borrowed influence. With with referred prospects, price tends to be less of an issue, which doesn't mean it's a non-issue, but it's less of an issue because you're going in on that borrowed trust. So rather than trying to sell on low price, which is really, unless you're Walmart, it's really a losing proposition, rather than trying to sell on price, you can sell on value. Um, this way you keep yourself from being a commodity. You know, we, we pretty much know that when you sell on, on, on low price, when you sell on price, you're a commodity. Uh, when you sell on value, you're a resource. Uh, referred prospects, it's, it's also easier to complete the transaction or close the sale. And, you know, with referred prospects, they're already of the mindset that that's how you do business. So when they're, model of the world and their paradigm, you meet people through referral, you you sell on value rather than price, you complete the transaction, and you get more referral. So they're more likely to just have that in their mind as, as a, a part of the process. So, uh, so it's really, we can combine laws one and two by saying exceptional value plus significant reach equals very high compensation. Beautiful. Nice. All right. So then you have the law of influence. Your influence is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first. This is great. Yeah. And, you know, again, this one sounds counterproductive at best and and maybe even downright Pollyanna-ish at worst. But, uh, again, as a successful businesswoman yourself, you've seen that the greatest leaders, the top influencers, the the most financially successful salespeople, this is simply how they run their lives and conduct their businesses. They're always looking for ways to place other people's interests first. They know that this is actually the most profitable way of running a business. Um, the uh, Now, by the way, I, and as a disclaimer, if you, if you will, when we say place other people's interests first, we certainly don't mean you should ever be anybody's doormat or uh, or a martyr or self-sacrificial in any way. That's that's not what this is about. It's simply that as as one of the mentors in the story, uh, Sam told told the protege Joe, the golden rule of business, of sales, of networking, what have you, is simply that all things being equal, all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to those people they know, like, and trust. And there's no faster, more powerful, more effective way of eliciting those kinds of feelings toward you from others than by, again, just stepping outside yourself and making it about the other person. Uh, Thomas Powers, who wrote a great book called Networking for Life, he's from the United Kingdom. I, I love a term he used that I think fits very well with this. He calls it the the willing suspension of self-interest. Now, it's it's not the foregoing of self-interest. As human beings, we are self-interested creatures. That's how we've been created. That's how we're built. And good thing, thank goodness, we're self-interested. That's that self-interest is what allows our bodies to to naturally fight off disease and sickness. 
Uh, it's what allows us to create other human beings. That self-interest is what allows us to create products and services and distribute those products and services that not only help ourselves but, but help others. And so there's nothing wrong with self-interest. It, it's a fact of life. To deny that is to deny reality. However, what the pro does, what the successful person does, what the go-giver does is they suspend that self-interest so that they can focus on making better the lives of others. And again, when you do that, you're planting those seeds of goodwill, of great will. You, you become positioned as that person who is a value-based, you know, a, a, an asset of value, if you will, to the marketplace. And now you're creating those great relationships of know, like, and trust where you become that go-to person, that go-to uh, resource. Right, exactly. What a good feel. I mean, this this is just makes you feel so good when you know that you were helping people, basically. Well, sure. It's it's just it's you know you you are you're helping you're helping everyone. See, you know, this is really how uh, you know free market economics works, uh, which which is simply that the the that if if you want to say, and I really don't mean to get political, it's certainly basic economics. But when government basically just protects its citizenry from force and fraud, and otherwise simply creates an environment where people are free to exchange with one another as they see fit. What happens is it's that person who gives the most value in the marketplace who ends up receiving the most. And so what happens is it helps everyone. It creates a pie of abundance because value is unlimited because value is something that can always be created. Uh, and so when that's the case, you've got that expanded pie of abundance and everyone in this, in, in that kind of society actually benefits. Even the poor are much better off in a free market based economy. Right. So that, that's really, you know, that's really what it's about. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. So the law of authenticity, the most valuable gift you have to offer is yourself. Uh, yes. In the uh, story, Deborah Davenport, one of the mentors, related how very early in her career she learned something very, very important, and that is that all the skills, uh, uh, all the, the sales skills, technical skills, people skills, as important as they are, uh, they're all for naught if you don't come at it from your true, authentic core. Now, when you do, when you as I like to say, show up as yourself day after day, week after week, month after month. Well, people feel good about you. They feel secure with you. They they feel as though they, they know you. They like you. They trust you. Um, you know, we live in an inconsistent world. So when show, someone shows up consistently the same way as themselves, that's very powerful. I always loved, I always loved Gandhi's definition of integrity. Uh, which he said was when everything you think and everything you feel and everything you say and everything you do are in alignment. And it's interesting. I believe that that type of congruency, if you will, Chris, uh, is very attractive. In other words, it attracts people to you. 
And, you know, it's really so, so powerful. And it brings up the question, well, so if that's the case, if it's so much better business to, to, to be authentic, well, why, why are there people who maybe don't show up that way? And, uh, the natural default response is, well, because somebody wants to be dishonest or they want to take advantage of someone. And certainly we live in a big world and there were those people as well <laughs> to, you know, we can't deny that, but, but, that's that's not the the usual. Um, I mean, most people are are pretty honest, and most people want to do do good, and they want to do well. I think what it really comes down to, more often than not, the reason why someone doesn't show up as authentically as they might is because they simply don't have the confidence, the self confidence, to really understand their true value and understand what they bring in terms of this value. Um, my belief is that as human beings, we have we all have two types of value. One is simply intrinsic value. Just by being born, we bring value to the table. But the other one, and, and what we're really talking about here, I believe, is what I call market value. And this market value, I, I would define as those strengths, traits, qualities, and characteristics that allow you to bring value to the table, to the marketplace, which the marketplace will reward, uh, and it will be with a, a, finan- you know, a financial reward because that's how exchanges, that's how value is measured, and so in a, in, in the market-based economy we're talking about, and so when we don't feel when we when we're not cognizant of our own value, and when we don't have the confidence in ourselves. Well, we're not going to bring that. We're not going to bring our true authentic selves because why, you know, why show up authentically when you don't feel there's value to that authenticity? And that's one reason why I, I truly believe that it is just incumbent upon us to, to really discover our value. Now, in the story, Deborah kind of realized it by mistake. It was luck that allowed her to discover it, and, and it worked out for her, but it's, it's not necessary, and it's not the most productive way to go about it, which is why whether it's, you know, whether you hire a coach or a mentor, you know, someone like yourself who can guide a person through recognizing their, their and embracing their, their strengths, um, their true value, or whether it's a matter of, of doing it with a, you know, with a, an employer or a supervisor or a friend, but it's got to be someone who is not, see, we're so emotionally involved in ourselves as human beings. Sometimes it's hard for us to see the forest for the trees. It's hard for us to, yeah, I can't tell you how many times I've been mentoring someone. I'm sure you've had this, this exact same experience, uh, where, you know, I've, I've said to, I've asked this person about something they're doing and they told me what they're doing, which is, yeah, wonderful. And I said, wow, that's, that's terrific. That's, that's, that's excellent. And their immediate response, Chris, was, Oh no no! Everybody does that, or everybody knows that. Right. And and they weren't being falsely modest or it. They really believe that because they're so used to it. Yeah. That they just don't realize that it's something special. Even if they put on their ten thousand hours of deliberate practice, like Gladwell talked about in Outliers, or or. Um, uh, Colvin talked about in talent is overrated, whether they put in their 10,000 hours of deliberate practice to get that good at it, or if it was natural or a combination of both, which is usually what it is by now, it's so ingrained in them in their heads and in their hearts, they really don't see it as being anything special. Right. So it's important to, to make sure that's clarified, uh, or, uh, you know, because if we, if, if, if we don't recognize our own value, we're certainly not going to be able to communicate it to others. 
And that's when we charge less, we, we default to, to trying to discount our prices because we don't feel it's a, a value, or we shortcut ourselves. And when we shortchange ourselves, we're really shortchanging our, our customers and clients. You're so right. I bet you that's hitting a lot of people right now listening to that. Well, I think it's natural, and I think it's something we've all gone through in our lives. Yeah. So, you know, that awareness of it is, is really a start. Yeah, really. All right. So then you have one more, the law of receptivity. The key to effective giving is to stay open to receiving. Yes. In the uh, Late in the story, you might recall that Pindar, the main mentor, uh, asked Joe to breathe out and hold that breath to the count of 30. And I do that with my live audiences sometimes, and it's always a laugh because 30 seconds, as you know, doesn't seem like a long time until you try to just breathe out without breathing in. And so, you know, with Joe in the story, after about 10 or 11 seconds, he starts to panic and he's gasping for air. And, and Pinder says, what's the matter, Joe? You, you, you can't do it. And Joe says, no, I, I can't just breathe out. I've got to also breathe in. And Pinder jokingly said, well, Joe, what if I was to tell you it's been medically proven that it's actually healthier to breathe out than it is to breathe in? And Joe, of course, just, just laughed. He, he said, that's, you know, that's silly. You, 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 can't, you, you, you can't just breathe out. You've got to do both. Well, exactly. You can't just breathe out any more than the tide can just roll out. You know, it's going to roll in and then out and in and out. I mean, that's, that's the, those are the uh, natural cycles of life. And so um, we breathe out and we breathe in. We breathe out carbon dioxide. We breathe in oxygen. Uh, we breathe out, which is in a, giving, and we breathe in, which is receiving. Well, you know, I think a big mistake many people make, and this is really, it's a function of belief systems, which is a combination of, of uh, upbringing, environment, schooling, news media, television shows, uh, movies. Uh, we get so many messages of lack, especially when it comes to money, so many negative messages about money that I think often people think that giving and receiving are two totally opposite concepts, but they're not. Uh, they're really simply two sides of the very same coin, and they work in tandem, uh, really to, to focus on just one side of the, either side of the equation while trying to minimize the other is an exercise literally in futility because when you think of it, all giving, uh, you know, giving, all giving is made possible only because it's also a receiving. Uh, all receiving is made possible only because it's also a giving. And when you try to to not do one of the two, you, you block the flow. So uh, John and I often say that all the giving, and again, when we say giving, what we mean is is providing value, giving value. All the giving in the world is is great, but it's it's all for naught if. You're not willing to allow yourself to receive in like measure. So it's really not a matter of am I a giver or a receiver. That's what we call the treacherous dichotomy or the false dilemma, the unnecessary use of the word or. That's, you know, when you're a kid, people would say, hey, so when you get older, do you want to be wealthy or happy? As though it's a choice of only one. And unfortunately, that's a message we get uh, through really the mainstream media today, through all sorts. I mean, you go go to and look at any movie, watch any big selling movie, and the story typically involves two types of people. There are the poor, there are the good people who are usually portrayed as poor but happy, and if you notice, they're they're typically stepped on, put down, taken advantage of by who? The rich people who 
are mean and nasty and cowardly and have no soul. And when you're aware of this, you start to see it. Now, by the way, there's no, it's not like there's any, um, uh, what is it? Uh, you know, when you have a purposeful, um, oh, I can't think of the word conspiracy or anything to keep people thinking broke or no, not at all. It's just the way people are. It's the way society is. It's a story that sells. And so that's, you know, if it sells, that's the story that's going to be repeated. And, and often it's unconscious even by the people doing it. So no, there's no conspiracy. It's just, just the way it is. It's important though for us as human beings to be aware of this. We've been taking in, taking in these messages of lack from the time we were babies, you know, and, and, and through adulthood without even realizing it. So, um, what we've got to do is, is understand that when you've provided value to others, when you've provided significant value to the marketplace and you've done this with the lives of many, you've earned the right, not the entitlement, but the right to receive in like measure. What we've got to do is allow ourselves to do so. And so long as we do that, you know, so long as we know we're providing value and giving lots of great value, we can feel great about receiving. And it's, you know, then we have more we can give, and which will set up for more to receive and more to give and more to receive. Right, exactly. Well, that, you know, that really encapsulates it. And I just want to let our listeners know that anybody that just joined in, you're listening to our show, which is Ready, Set, Retire. And... um I have my special guest here, Bob Berg. And, Bob, tell everybody how they can reach out to you and get your book, The Go-Giver, and the other ones that you have. And Sure. They can uh, just come to Berg, and that's spelled B-U-R-G dot com. And while they're there, they can download Chapter 1 of The Go-Giver to see if they like how the story reads, and they can always order it from there if they'd like. Uh, they can subscribe to my Influence and Success Insights. Uh, they can visit my blog. They can also connect with me on social media uh, right from the homepage. So we pretty much have everything there on the homepage at Berg, B-U-R-G dot com. So I invite people to come by and, and uh, have some fun. Excellent. And for those of you that want to reach out to me, again, my name is Chris Meller, and my website is uh, Ready for Pre-Tirement. R-E-A-D-Y-F-O-R-P-R-E-T-I-R-E-M-E-N-T.com. And you can reach out to me and grab a few free articles and uh, find out about our new estate planning programs that we're going to have online real real soon here. Um, but I want to get back with Bob and drill down some more. This is great, great stuff here. Um, there's so much. I bet you we're going to have to do another show because we can't get it all in, but when you're teaching, you really break down some paradigms about sales. Maybe what are some of those you can share? Um, yeah, this this was important. Uh, this is something that that uh, John David Mann and I thought was was very important because we talk so much about selling that we we need to make sure the premise of what selling is and what it isn't is understood. Because uh, like anything, if you operate from a false premise, even the the best logic will never result in a correct conclusion. So. So what is selling and what it isn't? You see, so many people think that uh, that that selling is uh, trying to convince uh, someone to uh, to buy something they don't want or need. You know, and that's just the opposite. I mean, professional selling is finding out what someone does want or need and simply helping them to get it. 
uh, people think selling is about taking advantage of others. Not at all. Selling is just the opposite. It's it's helping bring people more advantage through your products or services if if it's a legitimate match between the two. Uh, but probably, Chris, the biggest upside-down misperception about selling is that at its essence, it's about taking. When re- actually, really, um, at its at its utmost, at its most profitable, at its uh, at its essence, I guess you could say, it's about giving. And I say that because the root, or the old English root of the word sell, was salan, which literally meant to give. So, so when you're selling, you're literally giving. Now, uh, somebody could say, and they could ask, and legitimately so, well, isn't that just semantics? And I would say, no, I don't think so. And the reason why is because I'd ask a person, I'd ask one of your listeners to put themselves in a situation where they're about to do a presentation for someone, uh, someone who's interested in perhaps purchasing their products or service. They're in the presentation process. When you're selling, which is what you're doing at this point, when you're selling, what exactly are you giving them? And I suggest you're giving them time, attention, counsel, education, empathy, and most of all, value. So when you're selling, you are giving, and you should be proud of doing that. And what happens is a lot of people, because the word sales or selling comes with it uh, with such a negative context, only because, and in those cases, we're not talking about people who are salespeople. We're talking about people who are con artists. There's a big difference. And and so you know, so many people who are in sales – almost don't want to admit it, even to themselves. So they'll say that when someone says, are you in sales? They'll say, well, uh, yeah, I'm kind of in sales, but really I don't sell. I just help people. Well, the premise there, and if I may say, if I may suggest it's a very false premise, is that selling is not about helping. Now, here's the, here's the problem. If you really don't believe selling is about helping others and you're a salesperson, there's a disconnect there that's going to cost you a lot of money, and it's going to keep uh, potential prospects who need or want what you offer from getting it. Because as a nice person, as a good human being, you are not your, – your unconscious is not going to allow you to succeed in something that you think is incorrect or wrong. So it's very important that you understand that you are, that if you're in business, you are in sales, and that sales is a righteous thing. It's finding out what people need, what they want, what they desire, and simply helping them to get it. Nice way to say that. Boy, That you're blowing away a lot of misconceptions for sure. Oh, thank you. Um, would you say that you downplay selling skills and techniques? Because No, I don't, I don't think we do. Um, I think what we do is we put it in perspective. First of all, I think sales uh, training and sales teaching is vital because a sales professional is a professional. And like anyone in any profession, they learn their craft. They learn their art. They learn how to do it correctly. Um, So we don't in any way dismiss um, selling skills. Uh, But I would would put it this way. There are – there are when you look at what – and so many times the question is asked, what makes a great salesperson great? What what separates the top-producing, top-income-earning salespeople from the rest of the field? And there are answers that I think are intuitive, but I don't necessarily think that they're they're correct. For for example, can I share a few of them with you? Sure. Um, People might say, okay, well, the greatest salespeople – 
they believe in what they sell or they have a great product to sell. And that's true, by the way. The greatest salespeople, typically, they, they believe very strongly in what they sell, and they typically have a great product or service to sell. But you know what? Many simply average salespeople also believe in what they sell, or they, and they have a great product to sell. In fact, I would say most people will not sell anything they don't have total, absolute belief in. So is that important? Absolutely it is. It's just not the determining factor. So someone might say, okay, well, the, the greatest salespeople, the top producing salespeople, their product knowledge is exceptional. I mean, they know their product or service inside, outside, backwards, forward, sideways, diagonally. And I agree, they do. But so do many simply adequate or average salespeople. They also have spectacular product knowledge. So again, is product knowledge important? Sure it is, but it's not the differentiator. So then there's selling skills. Well, don't the, 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 the top salespeople don't they just make a study of selling? Don't they know every uh, opening, every approach, every uh, you know correct statement, every correct question? Don't they know the answer to every objection? Don't they know the best? You know, the, yeah, of course they do. Again, they make a study of of, of what they do. They should. Um, but you know, there are a lot of just average salespeople who've taken those same courses, have studied just as hard, and actually know just as much. So, are they important? Of course. Uh, believing in what you sell, having a great product, product knowledge, sales skills, they're all very important, but they're simply the baseline. They're what you need to even get into the game in the first place. But they in and of themselves are not enough to, to make someone an exceptional salesperson. What we find, and I'll give you an example of this, what we find is that the people who just simply reach that over-the-top status of sales success, they understand this particular truth about selling, that when it comes right down to it, it's not about you, the salesperson, and it's not even about your product or service, as important as, as that is. It's simply about the other person. And those salespeople who are just just laser focused on providing value to the other person. They, they are the ones that are successful. There's a book that came out about three months ago uh, called Give and Take. Um, not to be confused with The Go-Giver, this book, Give and Take, is actually a very – it was written by a, a, a wonderful professor, uh, business professor at Wharton Business School, uh, Dr. Adam Grant. And it's, it's really a look at the different ways people give and receive and, and so forth. And I, just, just brilliant. Anyway, in this book, Dr. Grant cites an Australian uh, study of financial advisors, uh, you know, stockbrokers, financial, financial people who make their living selling financial advice. Okay, and you're very familiar with that, of course. Um, and, and so the, the question was, what is it that separated, uh, you know, the, the average in, in, in good producers from the highest money makers, the, those financial advisors that, the, the, that were the most financially successful? And, of course, they measured uh, uh, qualities such as financial expertise, <laughs> very important, of course. Uh, they measured ability to work hard, uh, again, very, very uh, important. And, and all of the, the, the ones at the top certainly scored very highly in those categories, but that was not the determining factor. According to the study, the determining factor was that the most financially successful financial advisors uh, put the interests of their clients 
ahead of themselves, ahead of their own interests, and ahead of the interests of their own companies. And because they did that, they were rewarded with the the highest uh, financial reward as well. That's so. It, that's really it. It's it's like it's so true what you're saying. And if everybody really adopted what you're talking about, this whole mindset, the whole the whole economy would work. Sure. And the ones who do it are, are the ones are you know those are those twenty percent. Those are the and sometimes it's the twenty percent of the twenty percent who, who take it to that extreme level and do so well. You know the our early adapters or early adopters, I guess I should say, of, of the book of the Go Giver were not the people who needed to learn this information. These were the people who were doing this long before the book ever ever you know entered the scene. And they, you know, we got plenty of emails, John and I both did, from people, great leaders, top influencers, uh, top salespeople, team leaders, who were saying, you know, this is what I've been doing for years. This is how I've built my business. And it was great to see a story, even a fictional story, that basically showed just what I've been telling people to do. And so, you know, we've had companies that would, let's say, bring me in to speak, not because I was saying to their people anything uh, different than what they've been told a hundred times. But you know how sometimes it's that third party uh, who almost brings that, you know, the, what do they say, 50 miles from out of town with a briefcase. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and so from there, then the people who, you know, over that next six-month period, then we'd start getting emails from people who heard about the book because uh, somebody they admired or their sales manager or their CEO or whatever had suggested it, and then they saw and And so that's really, I think, what uh, what – what happened. So it's not, it's really not that John and I have come up with anything new and we wouldn't want to come up with, with something new. There was nothing about this that was experimental. These are tried and true principles and laws. Uh, we just maybe told it in a fun story form, but, but no, the, there's, there's people who've been doing this for years and they're very successful people. Our goal is to bring this more into the mainstream so that even more people are doing this. And as you said, yeah, the more people who are doing this, the bigger an economy it creates for everyone. Right, right. You know, an interesting thing, and a little questionable is the thing you said in the book is that you can't make a sell. What do you mean by that? Sales are made every day, so what do you mean you can't make a sell? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Uh, when we said you, you, you can't make a sale, we were, we were being a little bit semantic there uh, because what we were really saying is that in a free market-based economy where nobody is forced to buy from you, you literally can't make a sale because you can't make anyone do anything they don't want to do. However, what you can do is you can create the proper environment where that person knows, likes, and trusts you. They respect your judgment because they know you're focused on them, and they choose to buy. So while you can't make a sale, you can you can uh, create the, the right context for it and be there to receive the sale. Now, someone might say again, well, uh, you know, isn't that just semantics? And my answer to this would be, yes, it is. It is semantics. And sometimes, Chris, sometimes semantics are very important, not only in what you tell others about what you do, but in what you tell yourself about what you do. Because if your goal or if you believe your purpose is to go out there and make the sale, then in a sense, it's really all about you. On the other hand, if you feel that your purpose is to go out there and create the situation with that person based on what they believe will be beneficial to them, chooses to buy from you, 
then your focus, then, you know, then it's all about them. Your focus is on them. And that's exactly where it's supposed to be. That that is it. It puts you in the right posture. Yes. It's real subtle, but it's that's so true. And do you think do you do you have people, you know, ever get confused about a go giver? You know what that really means? Oh, very very often. Usually, it's before someone's read the book, of course, and they they read the title, the Go Giver, and they think, well, it's a book about just you know, give 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 and. You know, great things will happen, and of course, that's not what it's about. This is a business strategy based on on the very proven principles. Uh, they also might might think, and, and unfortunately, sometimes even after people read the book, they think this, uh, and that's because people again they they see things through their own filter. But they'll think that you know we're talking about that what we're saying is it's not important to make a profit, and that's not what we're saying at all. Go givers make a very very uh, healthy profit. But they do it as a result of first giving value, and and that's a key differentiator. Um, and and so yeah, sometimes I think people look, you know, they they look at the the title, and they you know they base it's sort of like remember the book uh, by uh, Sun Tzu uh, called The Art of War, and. That book, if you truly read that book, and I, I truly believe that most people who say they've read that book have never actually read the book because they think that book is about war and, and winning the battle of war. That book is, is much more uh, – the, the, the main premise of that book is how to avoid war. <laughs> it's how to win without ever fighting. In fact, Sun Tzu said that you know, uh, the, the best way to win is uh, – the best way to defeat an enemy is by never having one or, or by doing it before the battle ever starts. And so um, you know, so uh, it's the same with the go-giver. They, they kind of, I, I think, want to take the title and make it into something that it's not. Now, one thing I think people uh, – another misconception about being a go-giver is they think that being a go-giver means you can never tell anybody no. You can never say no to people. Otherwise, you wouldn't be a go-giver. Well, again, that's very false. Why? Because, first of all, if you said yes to everyone and everything – uh, you'd be putting putting yourself in a very self-sacrificial position, which is not part of being a go-giver. Uh, in life, in business, we have to be able to tell people no, and we have to be able to say no more than we say yes. However, we can always say no in such a way that we honor the other person while respecting our own boundaries. Now, there's a very large challenge in saying no for a lot of people because as human beings, especially as, as people who want to be liked, you know, which most of us do, whether we admit it or not, most of us have a need to be liked to a certain level. Uh, it, it, we don't want to disappoint people. And so what happens is a lot of times people will make an excuse. They'll say, oh, well, I, you know, I let's say you're asked to serve on a committee, for example. And the person will say, oh, well, I, I would, but I, I don't have time. Well, there's a challenge with that, a couple of challenges. One is, first, you do have time. What, what you don't is you don't value what it would take to serve on the committee as much as you value the time not being on that committee. So, you know, if you wanted to, you'd find a way because people do what will make them happy. People do or what they perceive will make them happy. So, uh, so really, when you make an excuse, you, you know you're kind of fibbing to yourself, which feels kind of yucky. But the other thing is that person's going to most likely be able to overcome that objection, right? And tell you why it's not going to take a lot of time and blah, blah, blah. And then what happens is you've got to then either admit that you were fibbing, which is going to make them resentful of you and you're going to feel lousy or you've got to in order to save face you've got to then 
take the gig, <laughs> which you don't want to do. Right. Now, the other on the other extreme, we hear more and more uh, people saying, well, no is a complete sentence. You know, it's okay to just tell people no. And you know, I hear that at seminars, and I hear big talk show hosts say this. And when they say this, people nod their head, feeling really empowered. But you know what? Are you really going to do that? Are you really going to just say no to someone who asks you a legitimate question, just something you don't want to do. Uh, are you going to say no in such a way that you insult this other person, that you're going to possibly close the door to other opportunities, maybe hurt a potential friendship? Or are you, you, know, are you going to say no in such a way that it's not congruent with your natural um, a feeling of wanting to make other people feel good about themselves? Probably not. No. The good news is you don't have to say no rudely. And you don't have to fib and try to make excuses, which is not going to work anyway. You can, you can honor the other person and stay congruent with your, with your boundaries. And you do it in, with one sentence. And it's simply by saying, you know, let's say, again, this person asks you to serve in this committee, which for whatever reason, you just don't want to. So you simply say, uh, thank you so much. While it's not something I'd like to do, please know how honored I am to be asked. That's it. Or if you want to use different words that with the same principle in mind, you could say, oh, thank you so much. Um, while it's not something I choose to do, uh, please know how honored I am to be thought of like that or to be asked, whatever. Now, that's enough because so you didn't give the person an excuse to answer. You did, but you thank them. You, you honor them. Now, if by some chance they come back and try to, you know, uh, overcome it or, or even benevolently bully you into it by saying something like, Oh, come on, but we really, really need you to do that. You know, what have you? All you do with no emotion other than kindness, but with no defensiveness, no negative emotion, you simply say, Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I, it's something I, I choose not to do. But again, thank you so much for asking. Boom. That's it. You do that one or, once or twice, and that person from now on will know. They can ask you that that's fine, but that when you say no, the answer is no, and you're not having to sell out, you're not having to lie, you're not having to what have you. Right. That's how a go-giver would handle saying no. Beautiful. Yeah, very nice. Well, unfortunately, we're almost to the end of our time, but I thought maybe you could put a cherry on top of all these, this great information for everybody and, and leave us with some partying Parting gifts here. Well, you know, I think like anything else, it's just uh, it's just awareness that there's a way to do something that might be productive for you, and and regardless of what you're doing, whether it's learning from you how to uh, you know increase your wealth and be able to plan for that, or whether it's it's uh, running a business, whether it's this, whether it's, it's it's finding the information, it's seeking out the people who know how to do something and duplicating what they do, and uh, you know taking action on it certainly. And uh, understanding sometimes there's going to be uh, there's going to be uh, uh, a no that is said here and there. There's going to be frustration, or we're going to get. But we need to just kind of keep coming back and being persistent with it. And I think when we have a, a certain desire, or what uh, what Napoleon Hill in his great book Think and Grow Rich called a definitiveness of purpose, we'll learn how to do the thing, and we'll you know we'll have the belief to 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 continue with it, and eventually we're going to be successful with it. Right. Absolutely. Wow. This is great, Bob. I really Oh, thank you, Chris. Really have enjoyed talking to you. And Likewise. It seemed that was a really a fast hour 
It was a fast hour, wasn't it? Yeah, it was really. I mean, it, you have so much. You're giving so much value that's full. I thought it was just because I enjoyed talking with you so much. Well, I think that might have been part of it too. <laughs> I think it was. <laughs> it was really, really, really great stuff. And and again, um, everybody can go to your Berg dot com, get the book, and um, you've got all kinds of goodies on there. What else do you have on there for people? Uh, we have a blog with about 400 articles. I've got a bunch of uh, archived articles. I've got interviews and videos and all sorts of fun things and uh, our influence and success insights. And they can connect with me on social media uh, right through that home page. All right. Very good. And again, anybody want to get connected and reach out to me, I'm Chris Miller and I'm at Ready for Pre-Tirement, P-E-R-T-I-R-E-M-E-N-T.com. And we're we were really happy to be able to serve you any way we can. Bob, it's been a delight to have you and, and look forward to talking to you again. Oh, thank you. Likewise, Chris. All right. You have a blessed day. You too. Thank you. There's so much to learn about healthy money. I hope today's discussion brings you one step closer to securing and protecting your future. So you can get started on the right foot, go to meetwithchrismeller.com and schedule your free financial fitness strategy session. Thank you for listening and please subscribe to Money 911 so you don't miss our next episode, which includes health, wealth, and peace of mind. Lives inside